Star Wars meets Platoon. Fearless Fred presents Mud 79, a fan-made Star Wars story like you've never heard before. At 17, Solomon Kwai joins the Imperial Army, becoming part of the Galactic War Machine. But will he survive? Get down! Lead the way and list today. Fearless Fred presents Mud 79, a fan-made Star Wars story. Available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Welcome back to the Capes and Tights podcast right here at capesandtights.com. I'm your host, Justin Soderberg. This week, we welcome comic book creator, artist, and writer John Allison to the podcast to discuss comics and so much more. John Allison is the creator of Giant Days, Wicked Things, Bad Machinery, Steeple, The Great British Bump Off, Scary Go Round, and so much more. We talked mostly on this episode about The Great British Bump Off out now at Dark Horse Comics with Max Saren. This episode is mostly about that, but we talked a bunch of other things as well. So enjoy this episode with John Allison right here on capesandtice.com. Thanks, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, John. How are you? I'm fine. Good to be here. Yes. I feel like you did. I'm, I'm in Maine and I feel like you wore that buffalo plaid shirt in honor of being on an episode with, with us here at the podcast here in Maine. I think that was like, it's a, it's a true Mainer oh. shirt you're wearing right there. Well, that's nice. I didn't realize actually when I was going rifling through my wardrobe of, you know, many plaid shirts that all <laughs> cartoonists have to wear. The, yeah. the the uniform we're handed when we emerge from the art store with our like fresh pencils, yes. they give us they, they give us the plaid shirts. I'm glad, I'm just glad it was, you know, regionally appropriate to you. That's, that's, yes, you see a lobster roll in one hand and a moxie in the other hand and you'd be like, true mainer right there well you know do you know what i know what i'm doing after this you don't want a moxie i'll tell you that much i am a mainer. what is a moxie what is moxie moxie? is soda soda that was Mm. it's it's produced i think produced and distributed by coca-cola now um but originally was it was created by a guy from maine but it's just like caramelly it's gross my dad drinks it with milk if that says anything oh, about well, like, Yeah, sodas with milk. That's like Laverne and Shirley, where yeah. they would drink like Coca-Cola with milk. I mean, I've tried it because, you know, I'm that kind of nuisance. Yeah. I find it refreshing. So maybe I'll try a moxie with milk straight after. Yeah, see, there you go. We, 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 uh, my dad likes it. My dad's diabetic, so he drinks the diet one. And he's hard to find. He lives in Connecticut, so he's hard to find it. So he, when he comes up to visit his grandson, he comes over and grabs a couple of cases of that to bring back. Uh, and, and at our comic, we have two conventions in Maine. And each convention, we all, they always have the people from out of state try it. And about 50% of people are like, oh, that's pretty good. And about 50% of them want to like spit it out in a bucket. So uh, it's a weird, if you can imagine, it was probably created originally. I think it was created originally as a medicine. So Oh, sure. Yeah, like most most sodas were either, you know, just what we they could do with seltzer, like a Boston <laughs> egg cream or whatever. Or it was medicines sort of containing copious amounts of morphine and cocaine. Yes. in its original its original <laughs> more potent formulation <laughs> but now it's uh the doctors are saying not to drink it at all so there you know see times change <laughs> we've all had quite enough of experts i'm gonna i'm gonna get a case yes there you go uh so we're this is the first time you've been on so this is a great i like having a conversation with new uh comic creators or not new but new to us comic creators and uh so because of that i'd love to hear a little bit about your origin story and how you got into reading and collecting and then you know how you got into creating comic books in the first place 
Well, as I got into reading comics, really, I grew up in the era when Marvel UK still existed and kind of produced a, a mixture of um, homegrown material, you kind of your Captain Britain, Alan Davis, Alan Moore run, and then kind of like the licensed books, your Transformers, Zoids was a big one, early Grant Morrison and things like that. And then, um, but also there would be US material in there and you'd be able to find odd issues of US books in like on newsstands here not many you wouldn't be able to buy runs you'd have to go to like your lcs for that when i was a kid i didn't know those existed really so i would just grab what i could and i'd have like weird random issues of marvel books like you know it's like one issue of iron man where he'd fight he'd get he'd be recovering as an alcoholic he'd fight a giant dinosaur he'd fall into a volcano and i wouldn't know what happened after that you know you you were really you were you were really kind of piecing together the Marvel universe from fragments. It was a bit like Memento, you know. You'd be you'd be trying to assemble what little you knew from the artifacts you had about why Iron Man was a drunk. And you you know maybe you'd only seen him in the Secret Wars, but now he was a drunk. Anyway, it was it was very complicated. We got bits and bobs from Marvel UK, and then anything else you could find to kind of construct the wider universe. And I'd see DC books as well. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to, you know, a teenager, I had a bit more money. I, I started like collecting US Marvels and I kind of did that around the sort of pre my 87 to kind of 92, 93 and kind of like the end of the speculator boom when again, Marvel became a bit unreliable. I wasn't super into the image books and I kind of drifted out of collecting at that point and then got into alternative stuff and then began cartooning myself because alternative comics really lowered the bar to what I thought you could get away with as a cartoonist. <laughs> well, it's it, the funny thing about that. You say that now is like, it's so great. The different art styles and writing and genres and all the different things in comic books, you don't have to be the most precise and clean and, and crisp artist writers. The other side of that is if you're, if you're a little sloppy of a writer, it's, it's a little harder to follow. Um, but artist wise, oh, that's if you're, true. If you're a cartoonist, you can really do what you want in a book and be abstract I, I think... and all that stuff. Yeah, I think being, I mean, not in kind of big two books and mm-hmm. not in kind of at the sharp end of manga, but I think for most readers, and I mean by that, I mean kind of readers of comics outside comics fandom almost, the kind of the art that looks like the reader could draw it themselves is far more successful than the art where it's the kind of like post Brian Hitch super rendered figures, you know, like every stitch on the boot. Most readers don't really want to see that. They can't kind of can't parse it. So I'm always, as I get better as an artist and further away from that kind of naive approach, yeah. I'm like, you know, now I, I can see the stitches appearing on the boots and I'm like, I've got to get rid of those stitches. Got to, got to, got to kind of get back to some, to innocence, really. You're kind mm-hmm. of always trying to fight your way as a, as an independent artist back towards innocence and away from experience, if that makes any sense. It also depends on what you're writing. We were talking, uh, I have a book club at my LCS. We just re- re- read Nailbiter. Uh, I've read it multiple times. I love Nailbiter from Joshua Williamson and Mike Henderson. And and the best thing was, is Mike Henderson's artwork was a little cartoony. Like it still had that, uh, like some more cartoonish to it. But we realized the story was so serious and so unsettling. Uh, this guy mm. who eats his fingernails or eats other people's fingernails. Uh, oh, I haven't read this. This sounds good. <laughs> It's really good. It's nail biting. Yeah, yeah, it's over yeah. image, and and uh, he he's a, there's a it's a place in, in in Buckaroo, Oregon that has bred sixteen serial killers, and they're trying to figure out why this one town has bred all these serial killers. And one of them is, is the nail biter, and he eats people's fingernails off of their uh, off their body. And uh, but we we're thinking about it. I'm like, if this was like 
like Alex Ross painting realism in this or like Lee Bermehu with mm. like some of the stuff they did with Vicious Circle, which is like looks like a photograph and a thing. I might throw up while I'm reading this book. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah. The yeah, more yeah, cartoony and like be. rough edges of things makes it more like, okay, this is fake. This is not real. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, God, yeah. just imagine if Alex Ross drew everything. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. be able to take it. I mean, sometimes... <laughs> I think um, I read uh, Immortal Hulk and Immortal Hulk was drawn in a way that was sometimes too realistic for what you were reading. You know, it was just like, this is a little bit more visceral than I want my comics at times. You know, it's a, it's, it was a beautiful art. I mean, but at, at the same time, it was like when it was all just bits getting chopped up and the Hulk getting chopped up into bits, I was like, I could take this being a little bit more sort of John Porcelino, you know. Yes. Exactly. And that's what we were saying. It was one of those things that someone, someone didn't like it in the book club when we were meeting and like had the idea they wanted it more realistic, but I was like, I don't know if I could do it. The book's unsettling enough in this cartoon, more cartoony style than, than, than what it would be if it was more realistic. And, and if you add that in there, it's just like, oh gosh, I can't, I just couldn't imagine it. But um, speaking of, you're a writer and an artist. What would you like to do more? What would be something that you would, you tend to like to do? I'm obviously you've been writing a lot more recently and stuff like that. Is there something you'd rather do writing or, or, or drawing? Drawing. I don't actually like writing very much. I am. I know that I'm decent at it, but I was when I was at school, you know, and it sounds bad. I studied journalism at university. I have a bachelor's in journalism. And um, but I kind of I I got to the end of it and I, I'd done loads of like student journalism, you know, like music writing. I'd been music editor on like one of the university magazines. But I got to the end. Of it, it was like, do I really want to sit and just type because it, it's like schoolwork you know do I want to just do schoolwork for the rest of my life well, and I I was an amateur artist at best you know when I was 22 mm -hmm. but I thought this is kind of like something I can work at it I know I'm never going to be the best I am never going to be like Bill Sinkovich or whatever but I know that when I work at it I improve and I can see that improvement and so yeah I, I love being an artist I I've never worked with another writer and I don't know how I would do it because I've only ever mm -hmm. written for myself to draw, you know, so mm -hmm. I'm not sure what the collaboration would be like. But in terms of writing, all it's like it's, you're strip mining your personality for ideas. And I've been doing it for 25 years. So every time you, you go back into the mind, you've got to keep putting stuff in all the time. I have to do a, a huge amount of reading outside comics. And like I have to read all the time to just mm -hmm. kind of keep putting things in to take out. Whereas drawing, I think, is a little bit more it's takes longer but it's a little bit more forgiving of your personality i find it quite therapeutic really so like sometimes i'll give myself projects recently things to draw where i know that i wouldn't be allowed to do it in comics <laughs> but you know i'm quite willing to give myself like a wolverine comic to draw now mm -hmm. even though people go what's he doing what's what's this all about i just have to write it for myself <laughs> i can understand that too but i mean also like you're writing and in, in, in illustrating your own work takes twice as much time too, or, or more, if not more. Uh, oh than yeah. If you're oh, writing God, these yeah. stories for like Max, you know, you're, you're writing these stories like the Greek British bump off. Uh, you're able to write this and then let, let Max do their thing while mm, you're continuing exactly. writing and so on. Yeah. And, and like, I, I enjoy collaboration when it's a collaboration with someone that is like the start of a relationship. You have to negotiate a lot of bumps in the road in anything work, like, you know, love anything. But with Max, we've worked together for so long that I think we have a really good understanding. You know, like it's like a proper professional sort of marriage where, you know, like a lot of the questions have been worked out at this point. You're not, there's a lot that doesn't need to be said because it's already been said and been worked out. So that's a really nice collaboration where, as there are lots of artists who I think are great, 
but I know I'd be basically starting from the first date. You know, you'd have to be sitting there across the table, looking into each other's eyes, trying to work out if this was something that was, you know, going to be still going on a month from now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit more difficult. But, but yeah, working with Max is great. That's a it, right drawing it because I kind of draw like a a crappy version of the comic mm-hmm. for Max at this point, and then I say just do what you want with this. You don't have to hold to any of my panel layouts, but if it saves you time use them and uh, <laughs> and so it's very satisfying for me to see what was once a terribly drawn very scrappy comic turn into probably one of the best looking books on the stands yes well that's that was just gonna say that like it, it, the the partnership with max is perfect in a sense too because max knows how to draw your writing well as well like you got mm. the partnership is great because your writing comes off even better because max put their work into it too Oh, yeah. The only bad thing is if Max works on something where I've already drawn the characters for a book and then I have to go back to them, all of a sudden it's like, you know, going from HD back to SD. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, we can we can we can see how good this could have been. <laughs> and you do tend to right? I'm, I'm wrong. So, John Allison, I am fairly new to your work, which is sad. That's because I was a Marvel head for the longest time. And my pull box recently over the past two or three years has gone from like 75% Marvel books uh, and 25% independent to like more like 90% independent and like Mm. 10% Marvel. And that's a number of things. I think it's just there's more genres and more things out there in the independent world, as well as, you know, not to put them down. The quality is becoming more and more better in the independent world than they are Mm. in the in the Marvel and the big two stuff. I've never really been a DC fan, but, you know. It is what it is. Um, but with that, I have I'd stumbled upon new creators that maybe I should have known about for years and so on and so forth. And, and John, you're one of them. And that's, that's a sad thing because I don't have enough time to go back and read your entire <laughs> with also keeping up on all the new stuff, but I want to. And hmm. your characters show up in multiple different things, right? Bad Machinery, Giant Days, Wicked th- Things. Yeah. A lot of these characters cross over and all these things. They do, although I'm very careful in writing things as um, separate units. Like mm-hmm. it's like it's it should be an Easter egg for the reader at this point if they go back and they can see that a character from this appeared in this. You know, a because a lot of my work is now out of print because it was self-published stuff that was published, you know, in the mid two thousands, and so and I'm not going to print it again. So if people do cross over between things. It's the same way that you might cross over with, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a celebrity now and I can't. Sam Waterston from Law and Order, <laughs> you know, if you went to the same restaurant as him. Just I like people to think of it. It's kind of the world. And, you know, you might bump into Sam a couple of times, you know, and, you know, maybe you're just a big fan of Law and Order and you spend try to spot him on the street. You've worked out where he lived. Anyway, that's kind of how it is. There's always the possibility of bumping into the characters bumping into one another, but I'm very, very careful to compartmentalize stories, arcs, uh, separate titled series and things like that so that nobody should ever feel intimidated by 25 years of one person's mm-hmm. esoteric output, you know, that's because that's ultimately what my career is. It is esoteric, but it's all joins together because why shouldn't it really at this point? Why sh- one thing feeds something else and it grows into something else, but that doesn't mean that that the previous thing vanishes yeah mm-hmm. so it, it, it makes it's... sense i love it I, I love the idea that you know seeing you know shauna didn't show up as much as some of the other characters but like seeing shauna in great british bump off and you've read your previous work it's like oh this is kind of cool it is in the same universe but it's not like you know 
someone else from another one of your comic books is showing up on the great british bump off it's just this one person yeah exactly and also i think continuity is to me something i as a writer and a reader of comics since i was a child is something i think about all the time and i think continuity in life when we meet somebody in in life we don't have to know their entire backstory the the second we meet them you just take them as you find Mm -hmm. them and you learn as you go on as the relationship grows and i try to write in the same way in that it's it should be organic, an organic way of meeting people. It's not like you've got to revise for a test because sometimes in comics, I feel like we're expected to revise for a test. We have to know how many types of Kang there are, you know, or something like that. It's like, I can't go back to Marvel comics because I don't understand them. Yeah. I, I, you know, I was an obsessive reader as a child and I don't understand even like the storytelling techniques now of Marvel comics sort of baffle me a little bit. And so I'm always thinking... How do you make a comic approachable, still readable for somebody who likes modern comics, still readable for somebody who's never read comics and try and make like a hybrid that works for everybody, which is kind of, it's a technical exercise, but it's the kind of thing that keeps me interested after decades of work. Yes. And we, we, we talked about that in, our, in our, our book club I mentioned earlier was, was we tried to, for a little bit there, do like independent DC Marvel like a, to rotate the list out of what we're going to read. And we get to the point where we get to that DC and Marvel section and we're like, how do we read something that someone in the book club has joined comic books a year ago and read something that's like, oh, we we love X, Y, and Z because uh, we read it and we knew all the continuity. We all know all the backstory, but you just plop. Mm-hmm. It's like if we read Nailbiter, there's seven, six volumes of Nailbiter. If we just like, okay, we're going to read four. Volume four is where we're going to start. And you had no context. It's kind of like how any really marvel series is nowadays and so we have to pick these small ones like i want to read like old man logan because it's like it's such a weird and obscure thing yeah, that you know a little bit the... yeah but not the whole thing so it, it's a weird thing and so this is an ability to contextualize and, and say oh this is a character i've heard about before but if you just said hey you can read great british bump off and that's the only thing you ever read from john allison then then that's fine you're not gonna you don't have to know 16 20 years of backstory of this character yeah 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 i mean like big two comics can do it i i had the charles soul she hulk series mm-hmm. i always really mm-hmm. liked she hulk when i was a kid i thought she was a great funny character and that charles soul series with javier polito mm-hmm. i think some of the best comics i've read and and it really worked just as a unit you know you could make sense of it straight away and i think that's kind of the the acme of of kind of getting that kind of thing right I think that was sort of what Marvel now tried to do, wasn't mm-hmm. it? As well as kind of refreshing the characters. There were a lot of attempts to kind of say, this is a unit. And it also it sort of got a bit infected by Marvel's histories. It has a gravity of its own, doesn't it? And yes. the desire of the fans for the old to kind of, it pulls things back no matter how, how much you try and write something that feels fresh and new, it's always going to get pulled slowly back towards the kind of the body of things. So, um, but no, occasionally I find these islands that I really enjoy, and I thought that was a really good one. Yeah, you're right about that. It's, it's that it's, but it also I think sometimes has to do with the creator. I, I, you know, Charles Soule's work is just speaks for itself as it own, it's on its own, and so that also goes into it as well. And, and Charles was brought onto the show to be a law consultant for the She-Hulk uh, thing because he's also a lawyer. So that he's a very clever guy. He's a lot cleverer than I am. Charles Soule, he can do everything, can't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, the Marvel thing is, is to me is I'm always going to be this one that I'm stuck with. Like I buy every week Marvel comic books that I haven't read in a year. 
like I haven't read a Marvel comic book other than for our book club. We read mm. House of M recently, which was, again, one of those ones that you kind of needed to know some things, but didn't need to know everything. And, mm. and I love Brian, Brian Michael Bendis's work. So that helped. But like, yeah, I haven't read a new comic book and I don't know how long from them, but I'm still stuck buying it. They still have me by the hooks. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> it. Because, yeah, you, it's very hard to remember. It's like supporting a sports team, isn't it? <laughs> yes. you know, once you've given a little bit of your heart to them, you, even like I haven't like been to watch football a football match for like yeah. I don't know 25 years or something like that but I still go on like the BBC website every like Saturday or Sunday when the scores are all in to see what what the score was you know I can't help myself really so <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're talking about well when they're getting to be 4.99 and 5.99 an issue there's an issue <laughs> they're just getting yeah. my money to put it on a shelf somewhere <laughs> yeah I hear a volume of manga costs ten dollars for 200 pages yeah uh, it's, it's kind of hard to um at that price that cover price it's pretty hard to justify like when I do a book and it's it's four dollars like I, yeah. I'm like I've got to make sure I get a whole kind of story or a lot of jokes in there I've got I want people to come away feeling like they weren't fleeced basically mm. by a book because I've certainly felt fleeced by books where I've finished it in five minutes mm-hmm. I'm not going to look at it again I'm like that, you know, I'm a work, I'm a working man. I can afford four dollars for a comic book, but at the same time, it's like that's that's an expensive piece of entertainment for what I've got out of it, really, because it's you know it's lining the cat's basket tomorrow. Mm-hmm. If I'm and, not and reading it time, and that's the thing. My my LCS is uh, listed. This is partly because there was a damage, uh, a truck got in an accident, uh, a Marvel or sorry, I should say. Penguin Random House or Marvel, whatever. A truck got yeah, yeah, yeah. damaged in between shipping or whatever between facilities. And all those books that were missing on that load were coming out this week uh, that we're recording this. And so the, his title, his his LCS is like Polist comic books releasing this week. And he doesn't order everything because he's small, is like 63 or 69 titles long. So like hmm. if you were like trying to collect them all, you're you're talking that's three, four hundred dollars plus yeah oh god yeah i couldn't find that i couldn't no. find that no no it's a so, huge amount of money and i also like the fact that great british bump off we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more right here is is that it's a four issue mini series so that also makes me so i can go okay that's four issues i can buy that read all four issues and be happy uh you know and, and not have to worry about it going on and on and on like i mentioned some of these books that i'm just buying from marvel i mean i'm buying the mm. x-men and x-force books x-force is on issue like 38 and I'm like, okay, I told myself I'll. this is the last series of X-Force I'll buy. And it's like, well, they're never going to stop it now. It's going to go to issue 100. That's and quite have to unusual buy 100. for it to get to 38, though, isn't it? I know, you know, right? like, you've got a unicorn there in the modern yeah. comics market. If it's, if it's made it to issue 38, like, oh, maybe there's something going on here. I'll have to read these 38 <laughs> issues eventually. Find out how it's how it's made it this far. It, it, it's crazy. But four-issue miniseries, five-issue miniseries, I am absolutely static about. Some people have a problem about it, but I think to myself, I can commit financially time you know all that stuff space i can commit to four issues of a series uh that i know you know i can buy issue one and if i buy issue one and i like it then i can easily commit to issue two three and four uh Mm. no problem and that makes it happy and there's a concise story there it finishes and i do like some of these four issue five issue miniseries are doing like you could say at the end of great british bump off it did well everybody wants to do it again and you go season two and you do another four issue mini series that includes that in there without having to make it yeah. an ongoing series that you know connects it, in a way but doesn't really need connect it works well in some ways it works well as a creator to just do mm-hmm. mini series because 
it's easy to write four issues it's 88 pages you know as long as you can get everything you need to say and well i it's not usually 88 pages i i demanded two extra issues a page because i like the, the old number of pages that a marvel book had up until about you know until they went bankrupt i think yes. it went down to 20 pages so i i kind of said oh yeah, i'll just take a pay cut i'll just i'll just do i'll just do two pages for free and i'll pay for the colorist and the letterer and the artist as well so they can all have an extra two pages as well <laughs> but um yeah like that's what makes miniseries good the only bad thing is that i think having done really long things i've done web comics that ran you know a thousand fifteen hundred pages and giant days that I did for Boom Studios between like 2015 and 2018 ran for 54 issues. Yeah, you you find things within the story when you go long. You mm. you find things within yourself. You go directions you wouldn't normally have gone. I I've went places I never would have gone and took creative decisions that I wouldn't have done when I had the the free form of a serial storytelling piece. So. While I I like a miniseries, I I feel sad that that's the default for indie comics now. That there's there's no way to put you know a a concrete or a you know old school Hellboy or whatever mm -hmm. on the stands and just let it run and let and let it find its find its pace. You know I kind of I can still do it in web comics and great. I'm lucky that I have the audience that lets me do that. But I I miss. I miss the old indie books that ran and ran and ran. I mean, obviously Savage Dragon being perhaps yes. the last hold out of that sort of thing because invincible yeah. isn't going anymore is no it? invincible and spawn's still around so spawn is at 342 uh issues yeah. and then savage dragon those are those old school image books uh that are still going that long and there's a few other ones i think i think power rangers is now over 100 which is crazy i don't read power rangers but it's just crazy i saw that the other day i was like holy smokes i didn't realize that and um power rangers fans really love power rangers that's <laughs> i mean i mean that is obviously a tautology but yeah they do they 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 love power rangers and, and can keep a book like that just going and going and going forever and um, more power to them i say i think it's i think it's great but baffles me if you told yes. me even you know 20 years ago oh yeah the, one of the main books that's still going it's just power rangers and it just goes on and on and on forever well the other one no that is, is the longest which is funny how we've been shifting as a comic book community to the mini series like there's a lot more mini series out there than mm -hmm. there ever has been is tmnt the the turtles are are now in their longest series they've ever done with over 140 and that's the other crazy thing is we're all going this mini series route and they're going i mean they have obviously the last ronin mini series and other mini series mm. but like the the ongoing one is at 140 uh issues and that's just crazy also is that again though it's a community and a fandom that yeah keep exactly it going. that's like that's i don't know how we're going to build new fan communities that are like the turtles community mm -hmm. and like the power rangers community without finding a way to let things run and run because mm -hmm. like again like manga series you know they build huge fandoms and they just go on and on and on and obviously it's a different production model completely and also we're we're not you know the pages are all paid for by the time they get to the english speaking yeah. market you know it's a it's a cheap book to put out if all it is is newsprint and a licensing fee but mm -hmm. you know i think people have a hunger for these longer running things alongside well, the short things and I, I i'd like a bit of both in the market i think well i wish there was a way to get back to kind of western comics being able to turn out these long form narratives just because that's where some of the best creators came from i think your editor on this book, Daniel Chauvin, that he 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 was on the podcast a few episodes ago chatting oh, about I heard that one, other yeah. stuff. He I mentioned about Berserk 
and Berserk being yes. this, this book that basically is like not I say keeping Dark Horse in business, but like that's a line on line item on their their budget sheet. Just like okay, we'll get that, we'll print some more, and we'll be good to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, I think that's it, there's like a million copies or something yes. like that out there of Berserk, aren't there? And I mean, obviously, yeah. it's a very exciting looking book. I mean, yeah. and people love it. But yeah, like I think it's not beyond our powers as a culture as a, to produce work like that in comics it just isn't at all there are so if you think how many people the, the the energy the human energy put into making english language comics there should be more berserks i mean mm -hmm. someone like daniel warren johnson probably got a berserk in him i would say yeah i would think so too yeah i mean i mean i'm absolutely I, i'm not a huge wrestling fan but i love do a power bond so oh, yeah, do a power bomb was amazing so uh, hopefully more from daniel warren johnson on that too but Great British bump off. First of all, the name drew me in the first when I was looking through previews catalog and seeing that in there. And the name pulled me in, first of all, because it was just like, the hell's going on here? And obviously, then I, the creators drew me in even further. Dark Horse drew me even further. I was like, okay, now I have to read this book. And I've absolutely loved it. I've been lucky enough. Uh, Caitlin over at Dark Horse uh, sent me issue three uh, PDF to read over the weekend. So I was able to read up to issue three, which comes out june 14th uh, uh but it's agatha christie style murder mystery set in the world of english competitive baking show so i guess my first question on the on, on on bump off is did you want to create something that's so drastically different than anything else that's going on right now in the comic book world or was it just happened to be a story that you wanted to tell uh it's both. It was both. Because <laughs> one, no, when I do want to be different, and obviously there's a risk in putting yeah. something on the shelves that doesn't really look like anything else. I think if you think about some of the books that Oni has put out over the last sort of five or six years, that which have a much sort of lighter tone. I mean, they did all kinds of like food-related no. comics, but it was always a kind of like almost like a sort of food sports manga kind of vibe, you know? And I, I think I was, one... There's only one sort of comic I can do, and that is the sort of comics that I do. And if if a publisher is willing to put them out, then uh, th that's what they're going to get, and it isn't going to look like an issue of um, of just about anything else. I don't mm -hmm. think. But also, so yeah, on the one hand, yes, I am always trying to be slightly different to everything else on the show. You've got to differentiate yourself. Mm -hmm. um, although that's again, given that sequels are the most popular movie genre, <laughs> maybe that's not the absolute best idea for one's career. But also, this had kind of been on the slate for a while. I talked about it with various people. It had various forms. And then I kind of set it to one side because I'd done a couple of different mystery series. I did Bad Machinery for Oni. I did Wicked Things for Boom, Boom yeah. um, which was a good series, I think, with Max Sarin as well, where unfortunately the pandemic hit and it just kind of, we just kind of hit the rails because the industry went to sleep. And so that I think that could have gone further, but mm -hmm. ultimately just kind of hit the buffers due to the world going crazy and originally the great british bomb it was kind of in the kind of wicked things story pile which was huge i had a lot of stories but then you know it just i kept twiddling with it it got it would go it would go long and it would get shorter it would just be a couple of issues then it would be like four or six and eventually um i, I took an idea to daniel shabon i said can i do a, a one-shot uh, conan comic with uh warwick johnson cadwell and he said no john we don't put out one shots anymore conan is properly still in copyright in america even though he isn't in copyright yeah. in um in england anymore so we couldn't even we couldn't call it conan 
have you, do you want to do anything else? And I'd mentioned the Great British Bump Off to him in the past, and like he loves the TV show The Great British Bake Off, which obviously it draws upon cooking mm-hmm. shows like that. And so he said, "Do you want to do that?" And I was like, "Oh, I've, it's kind of half worked up." So I was like, "You're yeah, all right, I suppose. <laughs> I'll give it a go." <laughs> and uh, and I just had to knock it into shape, really, mm-hmm. and which involved throwing away every idea that I had for it originally because it just didn't work. And then I. Yeah. I was like, how do how do you do this? How do you actually do this with so many characters and yeah. the setting and everything else? And I was like, I've read a lot of Agatha Christie because our little village library when I was a kid had basically all the Miss Marple and Poirot books mm-hmm. in. And I would just go in, get one, finish it, go and get another one. Very, you know, kind of like classic monomaniacal consumption of an author. And so I kind of had the the framework in my mind and once i applied that framework it kind of all just fit together mm-hmm. it, it draws so much in comparison quote unquote they're, they're nothing alike right the bake-off they're the nothing alike it's no, nothing no, no, alike. no 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 nothing alike no it's all <laughs> very very coincidental it reminds me so I, there's a uh, a bar in in california called the um scum and villainy cantina and it's a star wars themed bar but not really because oh, yes. it doesn't have the licensing of it so mm. they're always like it's a space theme bar and so every time they talk about star wars on the podcast that they film there they're always like uh that has no relation to star wars at all and i'm just like that's the same thing i feel like when you talk about a bump off it's 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 coincidental that you just happen to write something that has this tv show about baking and it's in a tent instead of it's in a tent the uk bake it's called uk bakery tent the show on it it has a host who's called um pete hollyrood who again (laughs) There's no relation to Paul no. Hollywood. It's nothing like because he has an eye patch and a baking <laughs> medal. Um, Which he'll then, tell yeah. you about multiple times that he has a baking medal. Because <laughs> he got it, won it in the baking wars. It was very important to him. Changed changed where he saw the world. Well, he only sees it in like two dimensions, obviously, because of the baking wars. Um, yes. Yeah, so I was able to kind of extract the format from that show and shows like it. Because, I mean, they're all like that kind of yeah. cake boss and everything. They, they all kind of... Hang on, is Cake Boss one of those shows? I think it is. I don't actually watch a lot of cooker shows. Um, so, but I was able to extract the format, obviously tweak it so that it wasn't breaching copyrights all over the shop mm-hmm. and then apply it as best I could to this kind of murder mystery in it. And it, it lent a really nice framework to it. I was I was surprised how, how well it seemed to work to me anyway. It's funny too, because it's not, as people read the book, it's not... Uh, um... It's not like you're watching it from the viewer's eye point of view. So it's not like you're watching this TV show on TV, but it almost to me read like a TV show in a sense. Like it made it almost feel like I was watching the behind the scenes of a TV show about a TV show. It was, yeah, weird that's, how no, that, that's it, it. Yeah, that's it. Cause it, it, that's, that's what it's meant to feel like. It's mm-hmm. meant to feel like a kind of like a documentary about, mm-hmm. yeah. And then occasionally you'll see. I think I asked for the, like the, the panel edges to be rounded off. Mm-hmm. When it's like you're actually seeing something that's kind of for broadcast as broadcast, if that makes any sense, to mm-hmm. give it a little bit of a visual paradigm, if you like, so that at times it would feel like you were watching the TV show, but for the most part, you're not. You know, again, yeah, it's it's proper behind the scenes, and also just kind of using like proper comic-y tropes mm. because mm-hmm. it, you know that's I love comics, and you know, it, I, I there are points where I try to use everything. I think there's a scene where there are sort of flashbacks, and you see it from every character's perspective. But every character's perspective is drawn slightly differently in order to represent their um, 
to represent their unique point of view. And Max has gone through. I can't remember if that's an issue two or three, but everyone is drawing like a different, slightly mm -hmm. different <laughs> comic style. Mm -hmm. And it's 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 one of my favorite like spreads in the book. That uh, reminds me, I just went and saw Spider-Verse over the weekend, uh, the new uh, Cross Spider-Verse. And that's one of the biggest things I love about that movies, so those movies is that each comic book character, each Spider-Man character from different comic books are drawn and illustrated and animated in a different way that like, you know, the Spider-Punk is, is done like a punk poster like he is in the comic books mm. and things like that. And that's such a great way that you don't have to illustrate an entire comic book the exact same way. You can go and do different styles to to, to portray different things, uh, which is amazing also in this. And the Great British Bump Off has a cat as a co-host. So I'll say that that's, right now. I don't yes. want to ruin too much, but let's, that you find that out early in issue one. So You do. And the, and the cat co-host um, is Pr Primrose, I believe she's called, um, is one of my favorite things in the book. And again, in my original kind of right rough version is drawn as a very primitive little cat yeah. and max has taken her and made her really like so well drawn <laughs> with so much personality whereas mine's just like a little cat head like pops up like you know ping and no it's 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 a thing of beauty yeah that, that's that's one of the great pleasures of working with max because max will get stuff out of things that where you wouldn't expect you wouldn't expect it you know it's the it's the pleasure of really really good cartooning in that kind of european style yeah and, and primrose almost talks like groot in a sense where it just says meow but the the, uh, the, the co-host understands what the cat is saying because it's all in the intonation you see yes. it's just like groot exactly yeah it's all in the intonation <laughs> if you understand primrose and you hear the mew it's just like yeah yeah fair enough yeah i can, I can read that <laughs> i just want to know how a cat is allowed on a bake that's like seems like a health code violation yeah, I think that too. But you know, like these days, like, you know, like, oh, have, I don't like it when they have dogs in restaurants. I don't think dogs should be in restaurants. I think dogs should, they can have their own restaurants. That's fine. An area of the restaurant, perhaps, you know, but when you're just at the table and you feel like the dog of the next table's like hit your leg, its tail yeah. hits your leg, and you're like, this isn't a dining experience, really. This isn't strictly sanitary, is it? No. Um, and I feel like, yeah, a cat. But at the same time, we're always told cats are very clean. They're always cleaning mm -hmm. themselves, aren't they? So as long as as long as Primrose doesn't drag like half a you know a near dead pigeon into the tent, I think it's probably fine. You know, or a, like a you know a, a mouse that's just screaming. You know, <laughs> well, the like, as long love... as a baking contestant doesn't use that dead mouse or anything like that to cook with, we're good. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it's all you know. As long as the surfaces have been frequently wiped down. <laughs> I'm sure well, it's fine. People are getting murdered, so let alone forget the cat. No one gives a crap about the cat being there. I mean, people are dying or or, or closely dying or trying to be killed in yeah. this in this comic book. So no one's paying attention to the cat. Maybe it's the cat. I don't know. I haven't read I haven't read issue four yet. So maybe it's the cat. We'll find out, right? Well, you'll find <laughs> yeah, you'll find out. But it's weird. I wanted to use a cat because it's like a, in manga the, or anime, you mm. often have like a kind of sassy cat who like helps the professor out. And this is what I describe as the hey professor cat. You know, hey professor, <laughs> I don't think we should be doing that. And, and except for except for Primrose is just going meow, meow, meow. Meow, so. meow. But if but if if Primrose was intelligible in English, it would be literally hey professor in the yeah. manga cat, anime cat voice. So, you know, having I don't know why this has stuck with me. And now I can't even remember who the original anime cat who says, hey, professor is. But yeah, it's a real trope. I'm 
No, I don't think. I don't think I again. It may just be someone said this to me yeah. ten years ago when I was very tired, and I and I believe it's a thing, and it might not be a thing. <laughs> whatever, it's in your mind. You wrote the comic <laughs> book and you created it, so you can do whatever you want. <laughs> I'll hate well, professor up to a like, point. Daniel might say something if he went too far off the rails, but you know, I, I think I think Daniel's very very pro hey professor cats, yeah, and, uh, looking to get them into Black Hammer. Umbrella yes. Academy, just everywhere he can. He's pushing right across the line now. He's <laughs> gonna start showing up in the background of like, things just to draw the the Primrose, uh, you know, sort of cinematic universe, uh, where Primrose is in every comic book that comes out from Dark Horse that Daniel's editing for sure. <laughs> All I know is Jeff Jeff Lemire has had a very strictly worded memo that says more 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 sassy cats. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But it, so the cat has his own personality. Cat Primrose has their own personality. But you have uh, what a dozen characters or so in this that all have their own unique personalities. Did you watch like hours and hours? I know you say you don't watch them regularly, but did you have to watch a bunch of British baking shows to understand where these characters I've come watched, from? With the exception of one season that I didn't watch for whatever reason, I've watched every episode. So I've kind of internalized the show. Um, because it's it's a good it's a good appointment to view show here. Like it's very successful, it's very popular. Mm -hmm. So you know you watch it with your other half. You know it's good, just good fun. Some you know it's it's good innocuous viewing to watch together, and the little soap opera unfolds, but it's never nasty. So mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a it's a nice vibe that show. And you know it's it's you know if you if you watch it, the night's on. You know it sends you off to bed. You know in a good mood. You've not got too tense. Not like watching The Walking Dead or something where you go to bed full of existential dread. <laughs> Yes. You know, you, you feel pretty good. You've just seen some cakes. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so I'd, I'd internalized it. So I'd, I'd seen all, all, so many seasons and you do watch the same character archetypes recur throughout. Um, obviously, it changes with time. Social, mm -hmm. It's been on for, I think, maybe maybe 14 years or something. So like social mores have changed in that time and it's a bit more representative in some ways than it was. And also the people who are on it are more aware of the way the show works in the same way that all reality TV mm. works because they've watched seasons. And you see people on who say, oh, I grew up watching this show now. You know, they're like the contestants who are in their 20s, mm. they were little kids when it was first on, you know, and it's a show little kids can watch. So it's, it's, it's very interesting how kind of circular these programs become. And they learned how to murder someone on the set of, of the Great British Baking Show. I, allegedly. Watching a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, allegedly, as I say, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to be the person to say that mem cast members of any real baking show have ever wanted to kill each other. I do remember on one season of the Great British Bake Off, a man going very red in the face and throwing some food in a bin. But that's the that's the worst it ever got, as far as I can remember, when the when the man got very red in the face and threw some food in a bin. That was the most bad tempered it got in 14 years. I love how it's been on for 14 years and we were just talking like about comics going long. Same thing. It's it's kind of funny how there's certain shows that are out there that can that can withstand the longevity of something like this. Because nowadays I feel like they put a new cooking show on on the Food Network and you get like two or three seasons out of it. They cancel it, retitle it, switch a couple things and then relaunch it as a new show. Yeah, like I think that the reason that some of them survive has nothing to do with cooking. Like who's like the, the iron horse of US cooking? The Barefoot Contessa. Mm -hmm. The Barefoot Contessa, who's very anodyne, 
Um, yeah, that show has zero production values really compared to a lot of the kind of newer shows. Just rolls on regardless because people like her and they like Jeffrey. I'm giving away now that I w- I've watched a lot more cooking shows than I'm letting <laughs> on. But people like her, they like Jeffrey. They like her world. They like going into that world. And I think that's sort of what works for any long running thing. That's why people like, you know, like Peanuts or whatever, yes. you know, the comic strips. They're not there because it's so gripping what's going on in peanuts it's you know that oh my god what's going to happen yeah. can't wait to get tomorrow's newspaper because my god what on earth is snoopy going to get up to <laughs> this is yes. blow, it's blowing my mind you know what this you know i can't it's it, it's gonna have to be a new number one of peanuts because this is yes. just going to reset everything <laughs> oh that would be great peanuts number one relaunch the new ultimate peanuts is what it's they're changing called, everything so. frank quietly is doing it frank quietly is doing peanuts now it's gonna be huge. I wanted to point out one of the final thing. I mean, this series is so much fun. It's fun to read. There's comedy. I mean, one of the things I love. It's refreshing that I don't read as many comedy comics anymore. And I had Kyle Starks on talking about comedy and how it can be mm. difficult sometimes to sell a, a comedic uh, comic book to people nowadays because they don't really. They, they you know comedy is one of those you know uh, polarizing things that like not everybody can laugh at everything mm. is that I feel like this is approachable comedy. I feel like it's approachable to the point where like I, I read my comic books in bed. My wife goes to sleep a little bit before I do. So I have my iPad and I'm, I'm going through the PDF of this, that, that Caitlin sent me and, and I laugh and she's like, what the hell? I'm like, Oh, sorry. Like I laugh out loud legitimately. Uh, there's probably some jokes that I went by and was like, Oh wait, that was a joke. And I didn't laugh. I mean, it's, 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 it's all possible. Um, but the, the biggest thing I wanted to find out of this whole comic book is how you got that that Shauna is a grindcore vocalist. Well, again, this is and this is the benefit of going long <laughs> on projects because you have to fill hundreds of pages. So <laughs> Shauna was a character in a series I did called Bad Machinery. And literally when she started in that series, she was 11 years old. So I had to develop interests for like, like there were 10 books in that series that that Oni put out and they were all 130, 140 pages long. So I had to kind of think about what her interests were. And because she was kind of a, she she framed herself as an outsider. She got into modernist architecture. She just really got into modernist architecture. Again, I'm picking these things with a pen. And then, and then it was like, at some point she fell out with her friends. So she joined a grindcore band and just did some shouting in someone's garage, you know, with a couple of lads who were, who were like rocking out. And it was like, it turned out she could do a really good goblin voice, you know? So, and then that that's in the character. That's there. That's that's safe. And you can pull that out anytime you want. I just, I, uh, I just, I just think you might be that. the only comic book that I've read ever that has a grindcore vocalist in it. I, I like subgenres. I'll say I, I worked briefly <laughs> as a music journalist and I've, I've been listening to, I've been listening closely to music since like about the same time as I was collecting. Marvel books. So I love subgenres, weird subgenres. And like the way punk breaks down into so many genres that are constantly mm. redefined as well. You know, like, and grindcore was one that always used to amuse me. Just the goblin voice, the screaming, because yes. it must hurt. Yeah. It's got to yes. hurt. It's got to <laughs> hurt. And coming from this tiny little woman, too, is pretty funny as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying to think if there was a specific. I remember at one point looking for all female black metal bands just like googling that to see like do they exist and and obviously like 
they do, especially yeah. in like Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. And they were they were quite terrifying sounding, but also you know there's a lot of, there's a lot to enjoy about people really going for it. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, you I know, feel like, like they're in the same category as like some of these female mixed martial arts fighters. Where I'm like, you see them walking on the street and you're just like, oh, look at that. That's a nice little lady over there. And then all of a sudden, I know you're like, oh, they're going to kick someone's ass in a ring. And after the fight, they're all bloodied up. And I'm like, wow, we went, we went for it. There. You know, I, I think watching somebody who's in that into doing anything, I'll say I'm yeah. not I'm not a big one for the world of like of like fighting. I don't know anything yeah. about the world of mixed martial arts, except for the fact that I know it exists and what goes yes. on. But I, you say, like, I would never endorse, say, you know, a friend of mine going yes. into the ring and allowing themselves to be beaten bloody in the pursuit of a, you know, a trophy and glory. But at the same time, if they want to do that, and they really want to do it, and they're really into it, just go for it. Why yes. not? It's a short life. It's yes. a very short life. Also, that people will think that they're crazy, and I'm thinking to myself, my buddy, I say to him every time he does something, I'm like, you're the one that opened a comic book store. That seems like a very smart life decision. <laughs> Exactly. You know, most decisions when scrutinized under a jeweler's eyepiece do not make any sense at all. I'm like, you're going, someone's like, you sell periodicals for a living. He's like, yes, I do. That's right. The, 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 the most, they're they're ever more popular periodical. Yeah. The ever more popular periodical. The funny thing is he opened it three or four years ago and it was like the biggest boom we've had in years in comic books at that time. So he's like, He's like, I'm just pretty well. I'm like, yeah, you obviously haven't gone through the struggles of it yet, but like, I'm not, I'm not trying to put him down. He does very well. He sells toys and all that stuff too. But I always just laugh. I'm thinking to myself, like, people make fun of you because you're a nerd opening a comic book store, and I'm the nerd over here making fun of you because I'm like, who the hell wants to lose money at a comic book store? <laughs> I don't know. I just, just you know, theater's still going, isn't it? Yes, it's yes, weird. Yes. Like, you know what? Theater's still going, and if if you could still go to the theater. And surely comic books are going to keep going. Yes, you know, people, exactly. People, there's something in there, isn't there? There's a little bit of magic in these old, old, older arts that you can't extinguish. You know, like new arts will emerge and will always slightly marginalize the old ones. But there's a, there's a, some magic in comic books that I can't put my finger on that makes me want to keep making them, and I think it'll make people want to keep reading them. And and it's the I think it's also the genres of comic books there are now. Like I mentioned earlier, I, I mentioned to my day job, I was like. Yeah, I'm going to my book club, and they're like, "Oh, book club? What'd you read?" And I'm like, "Well, it's a comic book club. It's it's a graphic novel club, trade paperback club." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." They didn't want to hear anything about it. But if I said I was reading a Stephen King book or you know George R. R. Martin book or something like that, they would have been fine with it. But because I'm reading, you know, the Great British Bump Off or whatever, they're like, "Okay, you're a kid over here reading these comic books." I'm like, "No, there's so much more." I mean, I just explained earlier about Nailbiter being this this serial killer comic book and someone's like wait wait what this a comic book about serial killers yes it's not all superheroes it's not all spandex there's so much to, out there there's comedy there's horror there's superheroes and so more so much more that there's more for people out there to get hooked on comics and it may lead to other things too so uh and things like what you're doing with the, with these uh, books like great british bump off Absolutely right. I say it's a rich field. It's a rich field. Mm-hmm. And we just have to keep reminding people that it's rich, you know, and that they only ever see the tip of the iceberg because I think there's there's always more stuff to find. I have one last thing I want to talk about, and that is on your website, uh, uh, Scary Go Around, you have this line that says, I don't currently take art commissions except for can artwork design, beer can artwork design. Mm. Do you do beer can artwork? No one's ever asked me. And the only reason I want to do a beer can is so they'll send me a big box of beer. That's all I want. I was hoping you'd have this conversation with this because my day job, I'm a creative director for a brewery and I design beer can labels. 
my a number of my friends have done them for like local craft breweries and they get given a big old box of beer and i was like this sounds like a good this is like a good system and then i thought i i beer is delicious and it's very nutritious refreshing and and i was and then no no one's ever asked me and i've gone on twitter and i said hey Hey guys, yes. I'd love to do a beer label. And all you have to do is give me a great big box of beer. I've won awards. Nothing. Nope. Nothing. Nothing. So, yeah, so it's I'll... funny because I've done, we have, like I said, I mentioned the Comic Con. I, I do, I work for a brewery called Orono Brewing Company, and I do all of our can designs and all that stuff too. But I also work with the local convention, and we've done now three conventions in a row that we've done a label related to the convention we had uh the the kids from the tv movie it from stephen king mm-hmm. a lot of those kids came to the convention so we did an it themed beer and then we did we had um the guys from clerks uh uh the, the movie clerks came and we did a clerks themed beer and then this last convention we had people from the movie terrifier and so we did a terrifier art the clown beer and we'll see what we do coming up. We have another convention in the fall. Uh, we'll see what we do for that. But that's always fun to do the, the mixture. And I've recommended, even though I'm a designer, an artist for can labels, I've recommended saying we should get comic creators to make these things because I feel like there's something about that. And so uh, when I yeah. saw that, um, Brian Brown does does cans for uh, a, a half acre brewing in Chicago area. And uh, so Ryan Brown is actually coming on to record next week. And so we'll talk about beer cans or that. But I saw that. I was yeah. like, oh, John also does beer can designs. Nope. He just wants to. <laughs> I just want to. I'll say, I, and I'll do them for convention. I, I, I'd like to do one. First one, Babylon 5. Beerbalon 5. That's going to be my first one. And that, so, yeah, just put in a good word. Next time you're out in the convention, you're like, yeah. yeah, have you got like um, J. Michael Straczynski coming? Beerbalon 5. Yeah. Hey, who could draw that? I know a guy. I know a guy. I heard John Allison's really good at this. He hasn't had any out there right there, but he's been he's been practicing. He's, he's been practicing, practicing really this. hard. He does a really good Peter Jurassic, and he's absolutely ready to do your Babylon Five beer can design. <laughs> so that's just kind of funny. I thought I saw that on there. Uh, you know, commissions are out of the question, but if you have a brewery that wants a you know a, a beer can, and you can get the problem is if I had a beer with you, I'd, it's it'd be like seven hundred dollars just to get beer to you in in, in the UK. So. That you have is to true. pass it out in a way that you're traveling through the U.S. Make it a little bit easier on us. So. <laughs> yeah, just drink it all when I get there. I can only really yeah. drink about one beer a day. Yeah. I can't really tolerate it. So unfortunately, <laughs> I'd have to stay for however long it took me to drink a case of beer. Well, well we would just hook you up with every time you came. We'd just give you beer oh. to drink while you're here. And that way you have like a like not lifetime, but like a couple of years worth of beer to drink when you're in the oh, U.S. Sounds great. There you yeah, go. Sounds See? good. Yeah, perfect. We also make different beer in the U.S. than they do in U.K. That's also a, a big thing. I, I, you know, our beers are a little bit different here in Maine. Uh, the little hazier, the little juicier. Uh, I'm I'm all for a, I'm all for a hazy and juicy. Okay. Uh, all for a hazy and juicy brew. This sounds good to me. I'm I'll yes. say, I'll get. I'm going to get all my Babylon Five photos out. Claudia Christian, all the characters, yes. and yes. Uh, Bruce Boxleitner, and I'll be working on this. Don't worry, <laughs> I'm going to get some five. sketches together for you. <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, and you have new stuff up. So Great British Bump Off is available now. Uh, issues one and two are on shelves, or hopefully they're not on shelves. Hopefully they're sold out of people's places. But if they are available, well, fingers crossed. Yeah. And then right. issue three, I think, is out next week. Yeah, June fourteenth. Yeah, June fourteenth. I said, I don't know when this goes out, but it'll be out June fourteenth, and then obviously mid month for the final issue. And then the trade is out in the fall. I think perhaps October. As yes, far as I think I'm I aware. saw like, towards the end of the year. 
um, from Dark Horse over there, as well as I saw you have new stuff coming or up at steeple.church. Is that? Yeah, yeah. New web comics at steeple.church kind of Monday, Wednesday, Friday at the, okay. at the bare minimum. Um, I've got new Giant Days editions out as well, like double mm -hmm. thickness hardcovers, li uh, library editions, which I believe foc was just a couple of weeks ago in at the end of may so they should be due i would imagine july the first one mm. i think is out in comic shops and a little bit later in bookstores and then they're out on a fairly regular clip all through the fall into into the new year i think and, and still let your lcs even if you is passed let your lcs know you want these because they could still get them so oh yes of course yeah yeah yeah. they're all they're all orderable yeah. yeah so yeah please do go down and support your local comic shop uh, or, or the best thing about trades and, and, and library editions and things like that is you can get them at your local bookstores too. If you don't have an LCS near you or something like that, go go downtown to your downtown city, town. Ours downtown Briarpatch or downtown Bangor, Maine has uh, a lot of the trades that uh, people talk to this episodes of these podcasts. You can grab those there too, So, which is pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, support local. And also at Bad Machinery on Instagram. Is that correct? Are you Twitter? That's Same it. thing? Yeah, on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, at Bad Machinery. And uh, yeah, there's lots of different ways to find me. And uh, I'm always doing something. So like there's a lot of free comics. There's comics you can buy. You can always you can always sample first the yeah. uh, John Allison Ouve before you, uh, you you buy the buy the books. There's lots of stuff online. And we're just waiting for the Primrose, the cat spinoff from the great british bump off that's what we're waiting for right that's next yeah that's right i say <laughs> we just you know it's being focus grouped as we speak to uh you know perhaps get a get a corporate sponsor on board some kind of cat food we can really we can really make this one sing <laughs> that's amazing i really appreciate it. so everybody go pick up the great british bump off if you are trade waiting like we said and towards the end of the year but if you go to your lcs and they have issues buy them because they're worth reading right away uh, uh for sure it's a fun book to read it's clever it's Max's art is absolutely outstanding. I can't get enough of Max's art uh, and the writing's amazing as always. John Allison, thank you for taking time out of your day to talk to us and, and to promote the great British bump off and more. Thank you very much. Thanks everybody for listening. That was John Allison, creator of the great British bump off amongst other comics. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well as subscribe, rate, review, all those things over at Spotify and Apple and all your major podcasting platforms. And be sure to follow John Allison on Instagram, Twitter, and all those things at Bad Machinery. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your week. And thank you so much for following, subscribing, rating, reviewing, and all those things right here to the Capes and Tights podcast at capesandtights.com. Thanks, everyone. Star Wars meets Platoon. Fearless Fred presents Mud 79, a fan-made Star Wars story. Solomon Kwai joins the galactic war machine and marches into battle. But will he survive? Experience the galaxy and join Mud 79 wherever you get your favorite podcast.